Well, please stand as we read the Word of God together this morning and open your Bibles to the book of 2 John. 2 John. The second letter of the Apostle John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Pray with me this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love, with an unbreakable love, with a covenant love, with a sovereign, unconditional love, a love that is not rooted in our performance, or our goodness, but in your loving character. And therefore, your love toward us does not change. We thank you that one of the ways that you express your love to us is by revealing yourself and communicating your truth to us in your word. We are so thankful that we have in our possessions the Bible. We thank you that every word in the Bible is your word, that it is true, that it is pure, and that we are to love it, that we are to obey it, that we are to savor it and meditate upon it, that we are to guard it and protect it. Because we understand, as Second John tells us, that many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as he is in truth. We understand that there is the deceiver and the spirit of the Antichrist at work in the world, and that, and that there is a real spiritual warfare that is taking place. And part of that warfare is aimed at attacking the truthfulness of your word, the truthfulness of Christ and his gospel. And so I pray that we would take heed to the warning of John, that we would watch ourselves, that we do not lose what we have accomplished, but that we would receive a full reward and that we would do that by protecting the purity of the gospel and remaining faithful to the truth as long as we live. Father, I pray that you would deepen our convictions this morning about 
the significance of your truth. That we would walk in love toward one another, but that would not mean that we would tolerate heresy. And if anyone comes to us and brings a different teaching from the one revealed in your word, that we would not receive them into our house, that we would not give them greeting, that we would not affirm them. This is not love. Love rejoices in the truth. Father, strengthen us for the battle. Continue to equip us for the warfare that we are living in. May we be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might and put on the full armor of God. Help us to do this, O God, by Your grace and for the glory of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, please take your Bibles once again and open to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our study of the Christian Spiritual Warfare Part 5, A Call to Arms. And follow along as I read from the Word of God, Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. One of the most effective strategies in warfare is the use of deception. Winston Churchill said, in wartime, truth is so precious that she should always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. Vladimir Lenin said we must be ready to employ trickery, deceit, withholding, and concealing the truth. Dwight Eisenhower said it this way, I consider it essential that the U.S. forces should continue to take those steps necessary to keep alive the arts of cover and deception. Arguably the most important use of deception in military history was employed by the Allied nations in World War II. Its code name was Operation Fortitude. The Axis powers knew that the Allies were preparing for a massive invasion of German-occupied territory, but the question remained, exactly where would they invade? And so during the build-up to invasion, the Allies created a very large web of deceit to mislead the Germans concerning the exact location of the invasion. The Allies had decided to invade northern France along the beaches of Normandy, but they were able to convince Adolf Hitler that they were going to invade in alternate locations, namely Norway and Pas-de-Calais, France. The principal objective of Operation Fortitude was to ensure that the Germans would not increase their troop presence in Normandy and that they would direct their attention elsewhere, which is exactly what happened. And to do this, the Allies masterfully created fake infrastructure and fake equipment such as dummy landing craft, inflatable rubber tanks, dummy aircraft, dummy airfields, decoy lighting, and fake field armies, all to fool German reconnaissance into thinking that they were going to invade Norway and Pas-de-Calais, France. General Patton was even chosen to lead this supposed army, this fake invasion, which is exactly what Hitler thought in terms of who he would expect to lead the Allied invasion. 
Further, the Allies allowed for controlled leaks of false information through diplomatic channels, which would be passed on to the Germans. And also, they captured German spies and used them as double agents so as to send false information to German intelligence. All of this proved to be brilliant military strategy. And as a result, Hitler prepared for an Allied invasion in Norway, in Padukale, France, not Normandy. And so with Hitler completely fooled, on June the 6th, 1944, the Allies invaded the beaches of Normandy with some 4,000 ships carrying 176,000 men. In fact, Hitler was so completely duped by this deception that several weeks into the Allied invasion, he was still expecting an Allied invasion in Norway, in Padukale, France. So he kept his forces ready for what he thought would be the real invasion, which allowed for a successful invasion by the Allies into Normandy, France. Beloved, as I said earlier, one of the most effective strategies in warfare is the use of deception. But not only is deception a tactic used by men in warfare, it is one of the major tactics used by Satan in his warfare against us. Beloved, the Bible warns us not to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil, and that is why we have taken the last couple of weeks and why we are taking this morning to examine some of the more common strategies that the devil uses against us in his warfare against us. At this point in our study of the Christian spiritual warfare, we are still in the first main part of our passage, Roman numeral 1. The Believer's Warfare in verses 10 through 13. And under this main point, we are considering two subpoints. The first is letter A, the strength for our warfare, which, as we have said, is the unrivaled, unsurpassing strength of Christ that is appropriated by putting on the full armor of God. And we have also begun to see letter B, the nature of our warfare. And here we are zeroing in our attention on that little phrase, the schemes of the devil. We have already considered that he tempts us to sin and that he intimidates us through persecution. But now this morning we are going to look at a third major strategy of the devil. He attacks the word of God. He attacks the word of God. And beloved, follow this line of thinking very carefully. The devil attacks the word of God, listen, with deception, through the use of deception. This is one of the devil's most effective strategies. The Puritan William Gurnall said this, The devil is a great student of divinity. Think of that for a moment. The devil is a great student of divinity, that is, of Christian truth. John Calvin said Satan is an acute theologian. Hugh Latimer, the English reformer, said the devil is the most diligent of preachers. So the devil is a student, he is a theologian, he is a preacher. William Burkett said, wherever God has his church, the devil will be sure to set up his chapel. And then finally, Martin Luther, I love this quote, when you look for the devil, don't forget to look behind the pulpit. Look behind the pulpit, says Luther. Beloved, the point that I am making is that the devil knows the truth of God. He knows it very well, and he is extremely skilled at distorting it, at confusing it, at twisting it, and denying it. And the way that he does this is through the use of false teachers. 1 John 4.1. You can listen or you can turn. 1 John 4.1, extremely important verse in this discussion. The Apostle John says this, Beloved, here's a warning. 
do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, so says the Apostle John, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Why, John? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't believe every preacher that you hear. Don't be naive. Why? Because John says many of them, not a few of them, but many of them are false prophets who are not from God. They're not from God. They do not speak for God. They do not represent God. They have not been called by God. They have not been sent out by God, but rather they have gone out into the world as the pawns of the devil. As John indicates, behind every one of these false prophets who, propag who propagates false doctrine, behind every one of them is a spirit. What kind of spirit? What kind of spirit is behind a false teacher? It is a demonic spirit. Therefore, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because there is a very good chance that they are not from God, that they are not empowered by the Holy Spirit, but rather by demonic spirits. So again, beloved, do not be fooled behind every false prophet, behind every false teacher is a demonic spirit, which is a major, major component of Satan's schemes. The Bible is a book that is filled with many, many warnings about things that will threaten our spiritual well-being and bring us into ruin. But one of the most oft-repeated warnings in the Bible is with regard to false teachers and false teaching because they are one of the most effective tools in the arsenal of the enemy. Do you realize that in almost every book, in the New Testament, there is a warning about false teachers and or false teaching. Almost every book of the New Testament. Jesus warned in Matthew 7.15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Again, Jesus warns in Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. So, beloved, please take heed to what Jesus says. False prophets are dangerous, they are deceptive, and they are everywhere. They are everywhere. They are in pulpits, they are in bookstores, they are in colleges, they are in seminaries, they are on TV, they are everywhere. And that is why when Paul met with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he gave them this warning, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And then he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Paul was a man who wept bitterly over the fear of false teachers and the damage that they could bring into the church of God. This is one of the greatest threats, beloved, false teachers who are like savage wolves who speak perverse things, twisted things, untrue things, lies. Ian Murray was right when he said, it is the oldest strategy of Satan to disfigure the truth by misrepresentation. And Satan attacks the truth of God in three major ways that we're going to consider this morning. The first major way that Satan attacks the truth of God, the Word of God, is through false religion. False religion. I'd like you to turn with me for a moment to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I want you to see something that Moses has to say about false religion. Deuteronomy 32, beginning in verse 16. 
This is speaking about the idolatry of Israel, their tendency to turn in the direction of idolatry and to adopt the false religions around them by the pagan nations. Deuteronomy 32.16, they made him jealous. The Israelites made God jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. Notice verse 17, they sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. But the precise statement that I want you to see in verse 17, they sacrifice to demons. In other words, idolatry and false religion come from demons. We find the same thing in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, so turn there if you would, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul dealing with the abuse in Corinth of the worship of God, and he says essentially the same thing that Moses does in Deuteronomy 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, he is giving them a warning. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So the context here is idolatry. The church was very much borrowing into the pagan idolatry of the day, adopting that into their worship, and Paul is warning them about doing this. And then he says in verse 19, What do I mean then, that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? Now notice verse 20, No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons." Obviously, the last thing the church of God should ever do is have the worship of demons involved in their worship of God. And so, beloved, one of the major works of Satan in the world is to create false religion. And these are only two examples that I could give you many more in the Word of God. Listen to the ESV Study Bible. It says it well. False religions are not merely the result of human imagination and human energy, but generally have demonic power behind them. So think about false religions. This is not just the invention of man. This is not just the creation of a group of people. There is a demonic power that is behind false religion and all idolatry. Therefore, world religions, contrary to popular thought, do not represent man at his best, but rather man at his worst. World religions do not represent man as seeking God, but rather as man deserting God and abandoning God. Behind every false religion, behind every idol, there are demons. And thus false religion is one of Satan's schemes to confuse the truth of the Word of God. Now listen carefully. Biblical Christianity is the only true religion in the world, and I use the word religion in the best sense. Biblical Christianity is the only true religion in the world that comes from God, and therefore all other religions are false religions that are not from God, but from the devil. But from the devil. This is why I cringe when I'm driving and I see on the back of a car the bumper sticker that says coexist. And embedded in the letters coexist are the symbols of major world religions. Now, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I am all in favor of coexisting with people of other religions in the sense that we're not fighting each other and killing each other. But I am not in favor of this, nor is the Bible, obviously, in the sense that we coexist in that all religions are the same or equally compatible or valid because they're not. Biblical Christianity, therefore, is not compatible with other world religions such as Buddhism, such as Hinduism, such as Islam, etc., etc., because they are the product of Satan and his demons, and they represent the scheme of the devil to attack the Word of God and to confuse the minds of men. That's what they do. They confuse the minds of men about the truth of God. 
With such a proliferation of false religion in the world, people are left confused as to which one is right, which one is true, which one is from God. Some conclude that they're all just the same. Some say that they're all really equal ways to God, which is exactly what the devil wants people to think about false religion. And by the way, the same thing could be said about a Judaism that does not embrace Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus in Revelation 2.9 and 3.9 makes this statement, the synagogue of Satan. Any Judaism, any synagogue that does not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah is a synagogue of Satan. That is the language of Jesus himself. Now, I realize that what I'm saying is not politically correct at all, but it is biblically correct. And in speaking the truth about such matters, what we are doing is, in effect, unmasking the devil's schemes. So that's the first major way that the devil attacks the truth of God, the Bible, through false religion, through the proliferation of false religion. There's a second way, and that is through human philosophy. And for here, turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. In verse 8, Colossians 2 and verse 8, a very important verse in the discussion of the things that we are dealing with this morning. Colossians 2 and verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ." Another warning, another warning. Let me put it bluntly, any worldview that does not come from the Bible is of the devil. That is what Paul says in Colossians 2.8. Any view of God, any view of man, any view of the world, any view of spiritual things, any view of life, salvation, the afterlife, God, etc., etc., that does not come from the Bible and is not centered upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ... Paul calls it empty deception. It's empty deception. This is the universities of our land, the colleges of our land. It's empty deception. It's the tradition of men produced by a world system that is controlled by Satan, and it is empty deception. It is contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is contrary to the Word of God. Let me give you some examples. And I can't give you an exhaustive list, but here are a few. Evolution. Naturalism. Atheism. Polytheism. Pantheism. Agnosticism. Rationalism. Existentialism. Communism, humanism, hedonism, secularism, radical feminism, radical environmentalism, postmodernism, and relativism. And I could go on and on and on with all of the isms that make up this human philosophy that is inspired by the devil, that is an attack on the Word of God. There are myriads of human philosophies and human ideologies that exist in the world today, again, all of which are part of this grand scheme of the devil to undermine and attack and confuse the Word of God. Now, with this in mind, let's turn for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want you to see something else Paul has to say about what we're looking at here, human philosophy and ideology. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You will notice right off that Paul is using the language of spiritual warfare. And part of what is involved in our spiritual warfare is in verse 4, the destruction of fortresses. Now, what are these fortresses that Paul refers to? They're not literal buildings. They're not structures. Rather, what they are are philosophies and ideologies that come 
from the world, not from God. Look at verse 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so, beloved, there is tremendous insight here to the nature of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a battle of ideas. It is a battle for the mind. It is a battle for the truth, the truth of God as opposed to the lies of Satan. So worldly wisdom is satanic wisdom that seeks to attack, undermine, and confuse and distort the Word of God. Well, there's a third way, a third major way that Satan attacks the Word of God, and that is through false Christian doctrine. Through false doctrine. There are certainly many false religions and many false philosophies and ideologies that exist in the world that Satan creates to use to confuse the truth of God's Word. But Satan's deception does not only take place outside of the church, as it were, but inside the church through false Christian doctrine. As I thought about it this week, the difference between false religion and false doctrine is this. In false religion, Satan tells people, this is what God has said, when in fact God has not said this. God has not spoken through Islam. God has not spoken through Hinduism. God has not spoken through any of the world religions that we've talked about. But Satan's lie is that in these religions, God is saying this when in fact he has not said this. And in false doctrine, Satan confuses people about what God has in fact actually said. There's a big difference, a subtle difference, but it's significant. In short, false religion is the devil's attempt to put words into God's mouth to say that God has said this when in fact he has not said this. And then with false doctrine, it is Satan's attempt to twist the words that have come from God's mouth. It is to confuse, to distort, to twist the actual words of God that come from his mouth. Now turn with me to 1 Timothy 4.1. I know we've done a lot of turning, but these verses are crucial in our understanding of these things. 1 Timothy 4.1. It's another warning by Paul. But the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. There is going to be apostasy. There are going to be those who will at one point in their life adhere to the truth, embrace the gospel, at least so it seems, but they will fall away. How will they do that? The end of verse 1, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. What are doctrines of demons? These are not doctrines about demons. Rather, these are doctrines, these are teachings that are inspired by demons and then taught by false teachers. Look at verse 2. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So you have the doctrines of demons in verse 1. This is the satanic attack of the truth coming from demons. They are creating false doctrine. They are infiltrating the church. And how do they do that in verse 2? Through liars, the hypocrisy of liars, through false teachers, through men. Verse 3, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So here's an example of their false teaching, no marriage, certain dietary restrictions, and on and on and on it goes. So please note, beloved, that false doctrine does not have a merely human origin, but a demonic origin. In fact, do you realize that the Bible is not the only inspired book? Now, before you attempt to stone me, let me clarify. There are many inspired books. The Bible is the only book inspired by God, 
But there are many other books that have been inspired by demons, such as the Book of Mormon, the Watchtower, and the Quran. And as a footnote, I consider Quran to be a Christian cult. A Christian cult. The Quran is an example of a book that is inspired not by God, but by demons. Satan, beloved, is a very prolific author whose masterwork is to create and spread false Christian doctrine. And therefore, when you hear people say things like doctrine doesn't really matter, it's not that important, theology is really not that important in the church, I mean, that's something for the seminary people to deal with. With people having that kind of mentality, they're playing right into the hands of the devil's schemes. The other day, my five-year-old son, Aiden, was looking through a dictionary. We have a little dictionary, a child's dictionary. And he got all excited, and he brought it to me, and he showed me a picture of the devil. There's a picture of the devil in our children's dictionary. I didn't know it was there, but it's there. Have you ever wondered what the devil looks like? Well, according to this dictionary that we use in our homeschool, here's what he looks like. A red man with two horns on his head, a black goatee, very slanty, ominous-looking eyes, a long tail, and very sharp claws on both of his hands and both of his feet. That's so scary, I closed the book. Let's not look at that. That's a terrible picture. Well, listen, that is what the devil looks like in American pop culture. But according to the Bible, the devil doesn't look like that at all. According to the Bible, the devil looks like God. God. No tail, no claws, no horns, no slanted ominous eyes, no red tight suit, no black goatee, none of those kinds of things. The devil looks like God. And that is a part of his use of deception. In 2 Corinthians, let's turn there for a moment, very important verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is dealing with false apostles in the church at Corinth. These false apostles are attacking Paul's character to the Corinthian church. They are undermining him in every way that they can possibly do so. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians has to defend himself and defend the credibility of his life and his ministry. And a part of this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 15. For such men are false apostles. The apostles that have infiltrated the church at Corinth are not true apostles that have been sent by Christ. They are false apostles deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He does not wear a red suit. He does not have a tail. He does not have thorns, horns on his head. Verse 15, Therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. And so how does Paul paint a picture of the devil in this text? The devil is a religious fraud. He is a religious charlatan who disguises himself to look like God to look like an angel of light, to make himself appear other than what he really is. And false teachers, according to Paul, in this text, they are his servants. That is their relationship to the devil. They are his servants who disguise themselves to look like apostles of Christ and servants of righteousness. But Paul takes the mask off. Paul exposes them for what they really are, namely deceitful workers. They are workers who propagate deceit and lies. And in so doing, they are a part of the scheme of the devil to attack the truth of God. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the devil loves to go to church. He doesn't miss a Sunday. He is very involved in the activities of the church, especially in what is being taught in the church. In Revelation 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus Christ gave messages to seven churches located in Asia Minor and to four of the churches Jesus specifically refers to Satan. Twice the synagogue of Satan and so forth. And to three of those churches, Jesus addressed and confronted false teaching. Where you find the work of the devil, you find false teachers and false teaching. Satan is, first of all, busy in spreading false gospels. Just do a survey of people in churches today and ask them this question, do you think that you're a good person? And you know what you will get 99 probably percent of the time ask you and others who ask this question a lot, what will you get in the churches? I'm a good person. And the belief of many of these people in our churches is that God will accept me because of what I do or what I don't do. I'm basically a good person. God will accept me on those terms, not because of the work of Christ. And so, beloved, I say to you, Satan is busy in creating and propagating false gospels, creating false Christians, and the end result is an unregenerate church. Churches where there are people who do not truly know the Lord Jesus Christ. So Satan is extremely involved in evangelism. According to the parables of Jesus in Matthew 13, the devil snatches away the gospel that is sown into the hearts of men by preventing them from understanding it. He's like the bird that swoops in and takes the seed away, prevents any understanding of the true gospel. In addition, he sows tares among the wheat, Matthew 13, that is, that he is creating false Christians in the church, and beloved, he is extremely successful. On a personal note, the church I grew up in, I went back to it as a Christian, and though I don't know the hearts of the people, I would be surprised if one of them in the church that I grew up with was genuinely converted. And I would say that is the work of Satan in creating false gospels so that people can be falsely converted. Well, second of all, the devil is busy spreading false doctrine among true Christians. And this is to create confusion about the Word of God and to stifle our growth in Christ. Think about it this way. What was the very first thing the devil said that we have recorded in the Bible? What does he say? Indeed has God said. It's the first thing from the lips of the devil in divine revelation. Indeed has God said, in his conversation with Eve, the way he begins his approach with her is by questioning the word of God. And then he follows that with an outright denial of the word of God. You surely will not die. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And he follows the same strategy in churches today. He uses false teachers who question the word of God. Indeed, has God said, and then they follow that up with an outright denial of what God has said. This was something that I encountered very early in my pastoral ministry. Sort of a personal story. As the new interim pastor of Barksdale Baptist Church almost 10 years ago... There was a New Testament professor from East Texas Baptist University who was invited to speak at our church. And the theme that year was the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. As long as I live, I will never forget that experience. I didn't know who this guy was, never met him, sort of inherited him in my first little month of being an interim pastor. Well, one of the heretical things that he taught our church is that even though all three pastoral epistles begin with the word Paul, look at 1 Timothy 1, 1, 2 Timothy 1, 1, Titus 1, 1, the first word in all three is Paul. He said even though it 
says Paul, and that is a statement of authorship. Paul didn't write it. Somebody else wrote those letters and put the name Paul, and that was okay back then. People call that a pious forgery. That's what he said at the very outset of his study on the pastoral epistles. Now, what does that kind of statement say to us? What is it communicating to us? What is the effect that it has upon us? It undermines our confidence in the truthfulness of the Word of God. If I can't trust the very first word in 1 Timothy 1.1, 2 Timothy 1.1, and Titus 1.1, when it says Paul, how then could I trust anything that it says? And so here is a man, a Ph.D., New Testament professor at a Southern Baptist college locally in our area, outright attacking, undermining the truthfulness of the Word of God, and it was astonishing. I had never seen anything like that face to face. And so, to quote Luther again, when you look for the devil, don't forget to look in the pulpit. Don't forget to look at the college, the Bible college. Don't forget to look in the Bible department. Don't forget to look in the seminary. Because this is a tremendous area where Satan is exerting his schemes of attacking the Word of God. There are seminaries after seminaries, Bible colleges after Bible colleges. Listen that do not believe the Bible is the Word of God. It is amazing to me how many seminaries, more of them, that reject the Word of God than that do accept the Word of God. And that is the work of the devil, that is the scheme of the devil, in using false teachers to undermine the truthfulness of the Word of God. And as you think about the pastoral epistles, which I just mentioned, one of the key themes of them is this, the church must not tolerate false teachers. It must not tolerate false doctrine. Because if it does, it is opening the door wide open to be duped by the schemes of, the Satan, of Satan. So, beloved, in light of these things, what is needed? What does the church desperately need to protect itself from the schemes of the devil attacking the word of God? There is a one-word answer. It is discernment. This is what the church needs. Desperately needs discernment, which is the ability to distinguish between the truth of God and error, between what is true and what is false, between sound doctrine on the one hand and heresy on the other hand, between a faithful teacher of God's word and a false teacher who undermines and corrupts God's word. And there's only one way that you can become a discerning Christian and that we can become a discerning church, and that is by knowing deeply and carefully the Word of God. That is the only way. That is the only protection. If you don't know the truth of God's Word, guess what? You will not be able to discern it from error. And therefore, you'll go into the local bookstore and you will buy books by heretics, turn on the TV, listen to sermons by heretics, because you're not able to discern the truth from error. The less you know the Bible, the more likely you are to be deceived by the schemes of Satan. The more you know the Bible, the less likely you are to be deceived by the schemes of Satan. And that is why after warning the Ephesian elders about the coming of false teachers, Paul said to them in Acts 20 and verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so, beloved, again, I say to you, the only antidote to false teaching is discernment. And therefore, in the midst of our spiritual warfare, I commend you to God, and I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to protect you from the schemes of the devil. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and we understand that it is under the vicious attacks of the enemy 
and that he has many pawns and tools in his arsenal to attack and undermine, question the Word of God, to challenge the Word of God. We understand that there are many false teachers, and they are in the churches, they are in the colleges, they are in the seminaries, and they are a real severe threat. But we thank you for what we have learned today, that we are not ignorant of the schemes of the devil, that we are to be very diligent in our study of the truth of God so that we can discern it from error when it comes. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, O God, who is the spirit of truth, who has inspired your truth to us in the Bible. And I pray that you would help us, O God, as long as we live, to be careful in guarding the truth and protecting the truth, that you would keep us from falling into error and to heresy, that it would never be said of anyone here, like Paul wrote to Timothy, that there were some who once held to the gospel but who fell away from the faith. And that is because they were misled by liars, hypocritical liars. Father, again, we express our tremendous confidence in you and in your power, in the power of Christ to enable us to overcome, to resist, to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We thank you once again that Christ has defeated Satan, that he has disarmed him, and that one day he will cast him into the lake of fire where he will suffer torment forever and ever. And again, we ask for your grace to abound in our lives as we continue to live the Christian life in this world, which is marked by warfare. We thank you that your grace is more than sufficient for us, and that your word is true, and that it is more than sufficient for us and that it is our only reliable guide and source of truth. May we cherish your word, and by your grace live by it, for the glory of Christ, and for the good of your church. Amen.